babies. Like no one has a baby so that a baby can stay a baby. No, we have babies so that babies can become um, toddlers and can become teens and become adults and eventually do the same thing. And we see that throughout all of Scripture. We see that through all of principles and, and things in life. We see that God has, God has made life and the creation to be a, something that moves and grows and matures consistently. Amen. And so, um, for us as a, as a people, we are not just called to grow as individuals, but we're actually called to grow together. And as I grow as an individual, so I allow the people and the body that I'm part of to also grow and mature. And as we grow and mature as a people and as a body, we together become a better reflection, a more true, a more pure, a more a mature reflection of who Jesus is and what his heart is for both his people and for the world out there. And that's what we're called to be. We're called to be the reflection of Christ to the world. And for that, we need to mature. We need to grow and become like him more and more every day. And that's a great thing to say. It's not always easy to live out. Amen? Uh, would you agree with me on that one? Yes. Great. And then on, on, on Wednesday, we, we came into comms, and we're busy part of, part of a, 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 a course that we're doing um, across the whole of Josh Jane, where we're doing the course, This is Church, where we're looking and going back to what is actually our values of why church, what is the church meant to do, what is the apostles, What's, what are they meant to do, what is church leadership, and there's still a couple of things that are coming ahead, but on Wednesday, we looked at specifically the apostolic. We looked at why are the apostolic there? Like, what's their role? What's the function? What's the effect of the apostolic within the church? And it's so beautiful because we just came out of 412, and um, even this morning I had someone come up to me that just said, oh man, 412, I'm still just in awe of what God has done in 412. And that's the beauty. It's like we don't just speak about these things, but we see these things living and active, having its way in us and through us and around us. And so what it makes it tangible for us that we're not just speaking of something out there, but it's actually something that we get to experience. And what a privilege that is as a church, that we get to experience the work of the apostolic, that we get to experience the work of the prophetic, the work of the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors, that we get to experience these things in our day and see that the Word of God, which has been written quite a long time ago, is still living and active and, in a sense, more relevant than what it's ever been. I mean. And that's a privilege. And that's a sign that actually our God is alive. One of the signs. And the thing that we, that we have here, and it's something that in this week that I've just been again, so it's been kind of like, um, I'm going to talk about something now, but I talk about, a lot about meat and about food. Um, but it's one of those things that when you have that steak in the pan and you are like getting the butter over it, like every time you do the butter over it, that steak just becomes more steaky and, and nice. Amen? 
And it's like this week, like the word has come, and as God has been speaking, it's like I've, I feel that inside me, the steak is becoming more steaky, and it's becoming so much more nicer for me, but also so much more challenging. Like I realized the, 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 the thoughts that I have and the... Um, what would be the arguments in my mind as to why I get to not listen to the Word. We all have those in our minds where we're fighting actually the Word of God. And those arguments of what, that I have in my heart and in my mind of where I actually go like following the Word of God is going to cost me in my life and I'm going to feel it. It's becoming less and less a thing that I get to fight because more and more I see the beauty of what God has given, but also that in Him giving what He's giving through the apostolic, He's made sure that there is no place in my heart and in my mind where I can find a gap to go, oh Lord, but that, and because of that, I'm not going to do it. He's eliminating the arguments in my heart as to why um, I could possibly not follow him. Does that make sense? And so when we look at the apostolic, we see actually that the apostolic has been given so that each and every one of us can grow. So that each and every one of us can grow as individuals into the calling that God has set for us, to grow into the work that God has set aside for us to accomplish. Some of the translations speak about the special work that God has made for you. And the apostolic is there to bring those things out in us. And then so that as a church also, we get to be together and we get to do it. And so when we look at the apostles and prophets, and Andrew had an amazing word over 412, where he spoke about the way we look at those that are leading us, those who are ministering over us, that we shouldn't be putting them on a pedestal, but actually that they're there to serve it's the first session. I think it's out already um, online. And so you can go and listen to that. I want to encourage you. But sometimes our view of them become like they are these untouchables. But actually God gave them so that they can serve. And so we see God has given these special gifts so that you and I, who in some senses you can argue is actually more special, can come into what we need to come into. What a beautiful view. That each part has a part to play. And us, as we are sitting here, we've got to realize that God gives us all these things so that me and you can stand in front of Him one day, be faithful, to be found faithful, and to be found living and active and fully like being in, like really fitting well with what God has made for us to do. That excites me. And I want to say to you, it should excite you, because it's proof that God is so mindful of who you are and of what He wants you to do, that He's willing to give apostles and prophets so that you and I can walk in the way that He's called for us. Man, it's overwhelming, that thought. And so this morning, I want to start here, Ephesians 4, and we're going to read it again, because I believe it's the basis of what we're talking about. And now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all 
come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. God wants us to mature and grow. Amen? And then it's this, and this is where this morning we're going to focus on. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so they clever lies, so they clever they sound like the truth. That does I think I missed something there. So clever they sound like the truth. Okay. Luckily you know now I'm not clever. Okay. Point made. <laughs> Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We're called to be mature. We're called to grow together. And as we become mature and we grow together, God fits us together perfectly. So that as we are together, it shows the picture of who He is and what His heart is. And so today, I want to speak about and want us to look at the things that keep us immature. If the effect of the Spirit of God and the knowledge of Jesus and His salvation and His grace working in us is maturity, then we've got to realize that there's an opposite to that. That if we're not working in the Spirit of God, if the salvation of Jesus is not continuously forming in us and being formed in us, if our knowledge is not growing and maturing in Christ then ultimately we will be giving ourselves to stay immature. Do you agree with my, my logic there? Eh? The effect of the world working in us is immaturity. And in this, I don't want you to think linear. I don't want you to think like a baby that gets born and grows up and matures to become a man with a beard. Okay? Sorry for all those who have beards. Okay? Just because you have a beard doesn't make you mature. We all know that. Amen? We all have experienced adults, older people, retirees that are very immature in their person and in their being. There's this saying, but well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Okay? Being mature in the world will cause us to be immature in the kingdom. Being mature in the world will cause us to be immature in the ways of the kingdom. And sometimes being mature in the kingdom looks like immaturity in the world. It looks foolish. It looks like craziness. So I want to read us a scripture here. 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in this world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For in all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There's a general statement that people make. And they say that healthy things grow. But if you have ever looked a little bit out of your garden, if you have a garden, and sometimes you don't even need a garden, you can just have paving. And you will see weeds grow very quickly. They don't need water. They don't need plant food. You don't need to go speak to the weeds and go, please, little weed, would you grow? I really love you. Like, you don't catch that joke, it's okay. Okay. No, it just grows all by itself. And you can take it out week for week for week and spray all kinds of things. That weed will come up and it will grow. So what we need to hear about that is that unhealthy things grow faster. The crazy thing about this is, when you have weeds and things in your garden, the reason why they don't need food, the reason why they don't need water, is because they actually suck out all the life and all the ingredients and all the nutrients from everything that is healthy around them. So a question to us, do we think that that is any different between the world and the kingdom of God happening in our lives? I don't think it is. I would encourage you to maybe go and look at that. The things in the world oftentimes steal the life and the passion and the excitement that I have for the kingdom of God. It brings doubt into my mind. Even unbelief. And the more I give myself to the kingdom of God and to the ways of God and to His Spirit, the more clearer it becomes to me that actually the world is trying to snuff out what God is wanting to live and grow and do inside of me. So recently, I, um, but like it's a week now, so I'm not saying recently, it's a week, okay. I felt the Lord speak to me a while ago about, um, like I said earlier, it's funny that I'm going to speak about meat, because I felt the Lord speak to me about how I eat. Now, I am quite, um, I'm a very outspoken person, and I've got very strong convictions, <laughs> And I don't change easily. God speaks to me, I'll change. But if God doesn't speak to me, it's like, um, that's the benefits of being short and stout. It's like, you're going to find it difficult to move it. I mean, so sometimes that's good. And sometimes it's very bad. And so I went on this thing of going like, cool, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise. I feel I'm getting older and there's like 
certain age brackets that are looking at me like wolves wanting to devour me. And, um, and I went like, when are you 60? Um, and I, I kind of felt like the Lord speak to me about it. And that, speaking to me about having to be healthy um, so that I can do what He needs me to do. Anyway, and so I started exercising and I started saying, man, this exercising thing works. It's like I'm losing some pant sizes. My t-shirts are nice and, you know, buff and they look good on me. And I mean, you can just look at me this morning, you know. Uh, and, and I went like, but I didn't change the way I ate. Because I went like, I'm doing so much exercising, and I'm, I'm really burning all those calories, and I'm making sure that I'm going to stay buff, and man, I get to eat whatever I want to. And it worked in some ways, until my body started going like, ah, that's not going to work. And so just before 4.12, I had a, 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 what you call a gout attack, okay? Yes, 60-year-olds, it's a common thing, okay? But I had, a, <laughs> I had a gout attack, and it means that there's like too much acid in my, in my body. And so some of your, your um, cartilage actually becomes like crystals, and it feels like, you know, like my foot's not broken, but I can't step, step on my foot, basically, okay? It's like my toe becomes this... Um, red cactus, <laughs> it feels like. Anyway, and so, um, and after that, drinking some medicine, I was sick for like three days, where I couldn't walk five steps away from from uh, the toilet because it was just. And I was, I was, I was getting scared. Like I, th- I think I'm gonna have to go to hospital. And anyway, got better and better, and I felt the Lord speak to me. And point a couple of things out. And one of the things that he pointed out to me was eating. And how what I'm eating is actually not causing my body to work right. But the thing is, it's not the eating that's the problem. It's the pride behind the eating that's the problem. Me thinking that I can just do what I want to do. I'm still 16 years old and like. And so I felt the Lord challenge me. I felt the Lord say to me, Rian, you need to change a couple of things. And so I changed. I'm in the process of changing. (laughs) So this week I started and I cut out bread, cut out sugar, and I cut out meat. Three things, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so if I cry a lot, you know why, okay? <laughs> what am I eating exactly? <laughs> so I cut out these things, and part of this process, what I felt the Lord say to me is, Rian, self-control. You might think you have it. But self-control won't happen unless you exercise it. That six-pack that we all want, it's not going to come by not doing anything. (laughs) 
Harry? He knows. No, it's like we've got to work it. And so, but somehow for us as Christians, we think that the things that God speaks about, the, the qualities and in a sense the muscles of the Christian life, that those things will just come one day where someone will preach and someone will say something and your mind will be unlocked completely. And when your mind unlocks, then all of a sudden you'll have all the passion and all the devotion and you'll have all these convictions in your life where you'll just change everything and you'll be in good standing with God. No, actually not. If you want patience, find yourself in situations to be patient. When those situations come, exercise it. If you want self-control, if you're going like, why is this sin continuously coming up and why am I continuously falling to this thing? I want to say you, it's because you're not exercising the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits are there because the tree, the Spirit that is growing within us, is maturing. And we're giving ourselves to the growth of the life of the Spirit inside of us. And that produces that consistent working and growing eventually helps us to be self-controlled because we've been exercising it. Now, I can say, man, I can be self-controlled because I thought I was. I thought I was actually very self-controlled in certain areas. But the fact that in one area I can't control myself actually means that I'm not self-controlled. Regardless of the 10 other areas where I am self-controlled. Does that make sense to us? So, this morning I want to look at this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I want us to come this morning and look at these things. Because the world wants to, through these things, kill off the work of God, the kingdom, in our lives. And unless we're able to overcome these things and fight these battles, we will not find ourselves in a process of where we will be maturing. Because these things, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they are there to establish the world in your life. And if the world is established in your life, immaturity in the kingdom will be where you're at. And that is not God's heart for any of us. Amen? So, we're going to look at the first one, lust of the flesh. I want to read us Luke 4, verse 1 to 3. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it's important to note that. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Good. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. See, the lust of our eyes is one of those things that lead us into a whole bunch of different ways. When we look at us as human beings, we've got some primary functions. One of those primary functions is the way our bodies function. Now, I'm not advocating here that any of us stop eating meat, stop eating sugar, that you go on a diet. It might be good for some of us not to lose weight, not to even think that it's the thing to be a healthy living. And I'm putting that in brackets because healthy is very subjective. But we might need to do it so that we can start, uh, what's the word, Um, suffocating and starving that need that we have inside of us to fulfill that primal function, that primal nature in us to just satisfy whatever our flesh is wanting. Whatever I'm desiring, whatever I see with my eyes, to just give in to that. The desires of our body is one of the primary desires To satisfy the flesh. It's like one of those things that just, it's there. And we look at other people and we see other people and it might be, it might be their giftings. It might be their way of life. It might be their car. It might be, and we look at these things and because it looks to our eyes like something that is so satisfying We just give ourselves, we go like, I've got to have this. Actually, I need this. Who of you have found that thing? You come onto like a, like it usually happens over Black Friday and you see all these things on special. And your eyes just goes, boom. Uh, I think I need that. This is never, this is such a good deal. I'm going to make a need for this thing in my life. I know we're laughing because I know you know that it's true. And so this flesh that's in us, that there's needs to this flesh. These ones that, like we had, we were, like the girls were at a birthday party yesterday. Um, and the people at the birthday party, like all other people that have birthday parties who are evil, um, give sweets to kids, okay? Um, it's good. <laughs> yeah, one man's... We won't, I won't go into there. Um, so they had this little carton boat that they gave with cookies, and there was some pineapple and some strawberries, and even some drawers, which just looked so evil. Um, <laughs> but there was like these jelly sweets. And I mean, I'm a sucker for a jelly sweet. And Helen puts this stuff on our, um, 
a microwave, like in the kitchen. First, it was on the counter. So every time I come into the kitchen, I'm already hungry. And I'm like, yo. It's like it, I, I know that no one would see it and no one would care. And because this is not a diet, it's not a, I'm not fasting. It's like, it's something in me that I go like, I've got to do this for me. I'm, I think God might be okay with me taking a sweet because he knows me. <laughs> but still I go like, the moment I give into that one sweet, that's the moment I start losing this battle. And so I'm walking past it, and it's like in my mouth. I know only a fish has kiver, but if you're Afrikaans, you understand with gills, okay? Gills, there we go. But it feels to me, when I see that sweet, it feels like I've got gills. And I can feel uh, that sweet would just fit so nicely in my mouth. Um, and I'm walking past, and I go, no, it's actually no. I'm going to go back to eating nuts. And broccoli, yes. Quickly listen to this. Galatians 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, kindness, sorry, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That's what we're fighting for here. The thing is, God has given me and you everything we need to crucify the flesh and its desires. The world looks enticing. Our bodies are screaming, oh, I want that. But God has called us for something more. God has called us to mature. And to mature means that we need to take these things and we need to put them to the cross. And we need to lay them before God. And we need to give our absolute everything to say that God, more than that steak, more than that sweet, more than that car, God, more than those dreams and those desires, I want you. More than anything. See, what we need to do is we need to arrest our flesh. I saw this video um, of a guy that clearly did something wrong because he was in cuffs in the back of a police car. And he was trying, even in his cuffs, 
trying to get out of the car and kind of having a fit of rage. And then what happened was the police car got crashed into by another car. And so this guy at, in the back of the car, he, when the car started rolling, this guy just started going, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't stop, he couldn't move himself, he just went wherever this thing went. And there's a picture in that for us. If our flesh is arrested to the Spirit of God, we will go where the Spirit leads us. But the opposite is also true. If our flesh is arrested to the way of the world and the things of the world, we will just go wherever it wants us to go. And you'll find yourself in those moments where you know you're in a situation. You know, I don't know how I got here. I know I don't want to make this decision, but here I am. I'm making this decision. Sitting with so many young guys and girls and married couples and in all kinds of things. Where they go, just, I didn't want to do this. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to fight this. The problem is the flesh is not arrested to the spirit. It's arrested to the things and the desires and the passions of this world. Last of the eyes. To Samuel 11 verse 2. It speaks about David. So one late afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking out on the roof palace, on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Whoa. <laughs> and so... We all know the story. That's where he started his journey with, um, oh man, now I went blank, Bathsheba. Actually, the scripture that just follows this says, immediately, David went to find out where's her husband. It's like he saw something, and as he saw it, immediately, the desire of the flesh kicked in. It was the last of the eyes. I saw something that is unusually beautiful. And he gave in. And we're going to talk no, no, about just what that. So we're going to come back to this. But I just wanted to point this scripture out to us. Saw it. And then as he saw it, the last of the flesh kicked in. And eventually he committed murder. Joshua 7 verse 21. And this speaks of Achan, and Achan is actually speaking back and saying what he has done. He says, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. See, God spoke to them and said, you need to go conquer this nation. 
And as you conquer this nation, everything that you take from there, don't take anything for yourself, but offer it up to me. And he saw this garment, not a watch, it's probably a jacket or a sash or a, he saw this, saw the money that came with it, and just went like nobody would know. He took it and he hid it, and nobody did know. See, there's things in us that if we don't arrest our eyes, what will follow is the lust of the flesh. It's like we're opening up the door, and our body just follows to that. It's like we answer those primal desires, and we've made a way for it. So here's something to think about. I heard this said the other day. The guy said this. Sow a thought. Reap an action. Sow an action. Reap a habit. Sow a habit. Reap a character. And sow a character. And you reap a destiny. I'll say it again. Sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Reap a character. So sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a carrot. Car- character. Sorry, I'm thinking of veggies. <laughs> sow a character. And reap, <laughs> his elders all need to be. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. A destiny. You see something? Lust of the eyes. Oh, that would be nice. And the moment you think that would be nice, you start dreaming. Oh. I can see myself in those shoes. My life would be so, I remember when I was a young boy and cell phones kind of like just came in and I would lie awake at night thinking of what my life, how amazing my life would be of having that Nokia 3310. (laughs) And it was so cool. You can go Anywhere, and it's this amazing thing of you can take the cover off and you can make that phone look exactly like you want to. And I would lie hours dreaming about how amazing my phone would look. We see something, we sow that thought, we start dreaming about it. Next moment, what happens? That thing is so overwhelming. And here, all of a sudden, is the moment where an action is required to either give in, step away, do the right thing, or just give over to it. It's right here. You reap that action. And now you've sowed that action because you've done it now. 
And what happens? All of a sudden, your character comes into question. And before long, you've done this thing so many times that now your character has been sowed and what you end up with is a destiny. Now, as much as this is the truth for the things of this world, I want to say to you, God has given so much more that this could be true for the way of His kingdom. And God points these things out in us, not so that we can feel like, oh, I'm so bad, I just want to eat meat, or I just want sweets, or I just want money, or I just want this, no, so that we can feel bad about us, oh, I'm such, I should just eat virimboli and ground and, no. God's pointing these things out in us because they are so small and so insignificant and so much less worth than the things of His kingdom. They are so much less than what He has, the beauty and the wonder and the awe and the power that He has available for you and for me in His kingdom. Yet we would settle for these things just because we can see them. And God comes and He says, I'm going to give you apostles. I'm going to give you prophets. I'm going to give you evangelists. I'm going to give you teachers. And they will come and they will train you up. They will come and they will stir up the wonder of God in your midst. So that you can walk in this destiny. So that you can walk in this beautiful walk that He's got for you to walk out in His kingdom. That you can understand and experience His power with you. That regardless of what is coming, that He is with you. He's going to make you stand. He's going to make you overcome the things of this world. That's what God is giving us. And we're settling for these things. I want to just, I'm going ahead, but I want to just, we, our time is running out, but I want to ask that we just dig a little bit deeper. Luke 16 verse 10 says this, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And so sometimes we look at this, that scripture and we go, it says in some translations, small things or um, small responsibility. But actually the contrast and the, the context of the scripture is purely finances. And what it says here is actually that if we are faithful in finances which is worldly things, we will be able to be faithful with things that really matter, larger things, which is the kingdom of God. And so scripture puts finances as small things. 
Not small finances, all finances. He puts it as small things because it's compared to the kingdom. And finances in this world, all the riches, everything in this world that you can earn, attain, grab hold of, it is minute compared to the riches of the kingdom of God. And so for me and for you, I want to ask us and challenge us on this place of finances. A preacher said this, finances is the kindergarten of the mature Christian life. Finances is the kindergarten of the mature Christian life. So what does that mean? It means that if we can be faithful in how we manage our finances, we actually set ourselves up and we teach ourselves and we allow ourselves to understand and grow in things of the spirit. Now that doesn't mean that if someone is rich that they are mature in God. Not at all. But if you are supposedly mature in God but your finances is in a disarray, the same is true for you. And so if we want to look at how, what we really look like before God, I want to ask us, we need to take a good look at our finances. Because that will be the place where God will test you. Self-control? Finances. Pride of, or lust of the eyes? Finances. Lust of the flesh? Finances. Our finances is out of space. We're actually stopping God to be able to work in us and through us. Now that doesn't mean that you need a lot of finances. I actually find in my own life, the less finances I have, the easier it is for me to be faithful. No, I means there. Pride of life, and I'm going to end off with this. Genesis 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Can you see? A quick thing there. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. The pride of life. It started in the beginning. It's not something new. It started in the very beginning. See, the enemy wants to come and always present these things to you. That scripture we read in Luke where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He came, same thing. Lust of the eyes, ask Jesus, or lust of the flesh, ask Jesus, you're hungry. Just turn this bread into, into, or this rock into bread. Feed yourself, you can do that. 
Then he took Jesus. Jesus didn't give in. He took Jesus, puts Jesus. He says, look at all these kingdoms. Jesus knew it's been, it's been presented to him. He says, look at all these kingdoms. If you bow to me, I will give all of it to you. Dust of the eyes. And then after that, he takes Jesus. And he brings him the pride of life. He says, hey, he takes him to the highest peak. He says, if you jump off here, you won't die. Your angels will catch you. It's all about what you can do, what you're able to accomplish. Pride of life. That is the enemy's way. And here God comes, even more to show you my point, that God gives us everything we need in order to come to Him and to live a life that is pleasing and pleasurable to Him. That we don't fall for the ploys of the enemy. He even gives us the enemy's strategy. Any war where you have an in on the enemy's strategy, you will win that. It's your game to lose. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Being aware of our shortcomings and being aware of our weaknesses enables us to posture ourselves for the salvation of Jesus. Hebrews 29, oh, Hebrews 9, verse 27 says this. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once and all, for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting for him. Can we close our eyes? Worship team, if you guys can come up, please. So I'm going to speak to two groups of people this morning in this part. And first of all, I'm going to speak to those that are here this morning that are unbelievers. Maybe you've come to church this morning and you're not sure of, not sure of your life and you were thinking, maybe I try this Jesus thing. Or maybe you know Jesus but where you're at, or you know about Him, but where you're at, you're kind of like at the end of what life has thrown at you. And you're hoping to find something that's going to be able to give you a way forward. The thing is, we've spoken about sin this morning. The Scriptures tells us that the wages of sin is death. And you've heard today, 
that outside of Jesus, actually, outside of his kingdom, that there is no life. That there is no way forward. That there is no other side. There's only death and judgment. Like that scripture said, you will die once. And after that comes judgment. See, Jesus this morning, I want to say to you, has come and crucified himself. Well, he didn't do it himself, but he got crucified on the cross, gave himself so that me and you can come to know him. But first of all, that before we come to know him, that we can come to receive freedom and forgiveness and the price to be paid for our sins. And as the price is paid for our sins, He makes us part of Him. And that's how we live. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to bring yourself before Him. Say, God, I want to receive your, your forgiveness and your love. And I want to take the sins of mine that is... Weighing so hard on my heart and in my life. And I want to give it to you. That you will come and that you will take it away. Because I can't carry it any longer. If that's you here this morning. I want to encourage you to just reach out to him. And the way you, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Is if you can just stand and say, Rian, that's me. Every eyes closed. But if that's you this morning, if you can stand with me, because we would love to pray with you. We would love to welcome you into this family. And then I want to speak to us as the believers. We have been called to grow and to mature to become more like Jesus to reflect him to this world and to walk out the special works that he has called us to but there is things in our lives that we need to overcome and that we need to crucify and lay down and fight and work out so that we can become this beautiful reflection, both as an individual, but even more as the body of Christ. See, if my growth affects your growth, and your growth affects my growth, it means that there's not space for one of us to stay a baby. But that for all of us, that we are called here, to give our lives to one another and to, the, and to God to come and mature us, to walk it out, to crucify the sin that is in our lives. If we're not dealing with these things, we will eventually be cut away like a branch that bears no fruit. And that is not God's heart for us. His heart for us is that we 
are beaming with life and love and hope and faith in Him that He is who He says He is. So this morning, I just want you to take a moment there where you're at and consider your life. Consider the way that you live. If the enemy could come to Jesus in these ways, he's definitely coming to us in these ways also. So just there we are. I want you to present yourself to him. To bring yourself before him and say, God, would you come and search my heart? I believe that for us here this morning, we want to take communion. The reason for that is we want to come to that place of where we say, Jesus, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that we are not left on our own, on our own devices, to our own devices, but that we get to come to you and that you save us. You save us from ourselves. You save us from this world. You empower us to walk where your kingdom goes. before we can do that, we need to make right with Him and bring ourselves before Him. Um, I just feel like, um, you know, I was driving in the car with Papa Ann the other day and she said to me, um, just out of the blue, she said, Mommy, I wish I could pay all my money to Jesus for him to take my sins away. And I just felt like um, the Lord remind me of this. I think it's such human nature for us to want to, in a moment like this where the Lord wants to work for us, to say, I will do something and then, Jesus, I will serve harder. I will worship really passionately. I will give my time. I will, we want to make that commitment to make things right. But I think in this moment, there's something where we have to, money is not the problem. Passion's not the problem. Sin is the problem. And only God can deal with that. And even as we take communion, it's that acknowledgement that his blood and the price he paid for us is the only way we walk from here in maturity or that we grow. It's not our actions or our money or our service that makes you mature or makes you grow. It's coming to that place where you realize you can't. And what he did is enough. And that is the way we grow. We receive from him first, and then we move from that point. Yes. Thank you.